millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome everybody to today's and this year's exciting episode. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Je m'appelle Joshua. J'ai Angleterre. Le wee oui, wee. Oui, le omelette du fromage. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to contain omelette du fromage. <laughs> yeah. I can speak French. I just don't understand it. So I don't know what I said. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, hopefully someone will write in and <laughs> tell us. And when I say I speak French, I know that one sentence. So <laughs> and I actually don't know what it means. Well, you know the bonjour is hello. Yeah, well, yeah, you, yeah. You virtually always answer your phone, at least to me, yeah. saying bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> yeah. I think what I said was, hello, my name is Josh. I'm English. Yes, yes, omelette with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think. I think, I think I, that's not... fairly accurate, yeah. <laughs> I'm not an expert in French either. I took five years of French at school. Can't speak a word of it. Yeah. Never took a Spanish lesson in my life. Uh, been to Spain, Spain plenty of times. I can get by. Mm-hmm. You know. But anyway, um, it is a new year. And mm. it is also... Now, this is going to be... This is going to blow your mind. Because my birthday is before Christmas. Yes. But it is actually my birthday. Yes. <laughs> Today. Yeah. But this will be released on New Year. Yes. So it is a little bit of a a mess up with time. Time is distorted here in the studio at the moment. Yes. Would you, would you say that? Would you agree? I would. Because I think people know that most podcasters record... Ahead a few, of time. Yeah, a few weeks yeah, ahead. It'd be, it'd be quite stressful trying to do it live every time, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you know we'd slip up and there'd be a swear word or something. Yeah, well, we slip up enough anyway. Um, but yeah, I've kind of wanted to do this whole... Because it's a new year, it's my birthday. I just wanted to do something time-related mm-hmm. and space-related. Because okay. it's my birthday and yep. I'm going to talk about whatever the hell I want. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so space and time and 
things renewing. That is kind of the theme for today's episode. Okay. And prepare to have your mind blown. Yeah. All okay. right. <laughs> so I'm, 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 just I'm, don't melt my brain. I'm not. I'm going to try. I'm going to try not to. Right. So I'm going to start off by asking you a question. Yes. About a very famous guy called Albert Einstein. You've heard of him? Mm, name sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, you've heard of the, the general theory of relativity? E equals MC squared. E equals MC squared. You answered my first question. What is Einstein's equation? I got in your head. You did. You got in my head. <laughs> but you got it wrong. No. <laughs> well, you, you didn't get it wrong. Um, it's just that is E equals MC squared is the uh, equation that everybody leans on when they talk about Einstein. You ask anybody in the street, what's Einstein's equation? They'll say E equals MC squared. Which, is it energy equals mass times... Yeah, energy times... Is it mass, the yeah. M? MC squared. I don't know what the C okay, is. Okay, so energy, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Oh, okay. Okay, so, I mean, this is just part and a very small part of the, the theory of general relativity. It basically says, uh, uh, as you're traveling through space and you're accelerating towards the speed of light, the amount of energy that you need to uh, propel yourself faster and faster will increase because your mass increases the faster you're going and you can never actually reach the speed of light because if you have mass, if you are a particle with mass, you would need infinite amounts of energy, which is why the people who run like the, the Large Hadron Collider in CERN can't accelerate particles past 99.9999999% of the speed of light. That's as fast as they can go because any particle has mass. Mm. It's only okay. light itself, electromagnetic... Uh, uh, energy, electricity, if you like. It's all part of the same wavelength. It's light. It has no mass. It's the only thing that can travel that far or that fast. Right, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay. Mm. But that's not the mind-boggling part of um, Einstein's equations and his theory. If you ask a physicist what his uh, th what his equation is, He's gonna, uh, you can see my notes here. He's going he's gonna to point to this equation here, which I'll read to you if I can mm -hmm. remember how it's actually pronounced. Okay, so r mu nu minus half r g mu nu equals 8 pi g t mu nu. Mm, yeah. That makes total <laughs> sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had me at pi because I'm feeling very peckish. So I listened. <laughs> I heard the pi part. But is there any idea what that is? Can you can you say it again? R mu nu minus half R G mu nu equals eight pi G T mu nu. Nope. No. <laughs> Nothing. Right. So this is a dynamic equation telling us how the curvature of space-time responds to energy, mass, and momentum in the universe. Yeah. Do you, um. Have you ever, I suppose you've probably heard me say many times, that Einstein came up with the theory that gravity, or as we always used to call it, the gravitational force, mm -hmm. is not actually a force at all. There's nothing pushing you down onto the floor. Mm -hmm. It is the curvature of space-time 
that holds everything together, that holds us on the planet, it holds the planet in orbit around the sun, and all that. And this equation is the one that explains that. Okay. It took him years to develop it. It's not all entirely his work. He stood on the backs of other physicists and took their equations and sort of chucked them all into a, a mixing bowl, mixed them around, see what saw what worked, and came out with that equation. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And that is what he released to the world. And he started going around, doing all these like um, lectures and stuff like that. And the thing is, Einstein himself didn't like maths. He didn't? No. I don't okay. it, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. But my, Einstein was a physicist, not a mathematician. Mm-hmm. Right. So he only really did maths when he needed to, and he only learned sort of as as much as he needed to to get the job done. Right. And when he came up with this theory, that's just a general theory about all governing governing all bodies in space, in orbit, around each other. Everything's falling all the time, and that explains that. Um, when he came to actually try and sort of um, plot point, like coordinates within space, because obviously, you know, if, you, if you're looking at a flat page, all you need is X and Y to give yourself a coordinate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in space, you need X, Y, and Z. And there's a whole load of complicated calculations that you have to make to at any given point in time to show where you are in relation to other bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So am I right in thinking, just so I can kind of follow you? Yeah, no, carry on. You get your head around it. there are coordinates for like where the planet is in in sequence with other planets. So like you could say... The Earth's coordinates to Mars are always going to be the same. Well, they're not. But because I, I was th- going along the lines of all the planets travel through space, so yeah. those coordinates would change. But surely, the the planets are the uh, same distance. You what, from the sun? Yes. Right. From each other? No. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. That does make. S- I didn't explain it very well. Yeah, but like. The the sequence of where the planets are in in that order, you know, like yeah, how, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that obviously they orbit, so yeah. there is the coordinates do change when they orbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But their position, like the the Mars, isn't going to suddenly just skip the queue and get further away than no, no, do you know what I mean? All, so, no, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't explain that very well. But that's what I mean is there's surely there's coordinates that change because we travel. Oh, there through. are. Yeah, yeah. And Einstein realized this, and he, even though he's got his general relativity um, equation there that explains that how that all fits together and works, um, when actually trying to plot the coordinates of a given body in space or two or uh, the relationship between two given bodies in space, he realized because th- this is made up. Um, uh, with uh, metrics and tensors. I don't expect you to know what those are. Very mathematical terms that are important within physics. Um, But Einstein realized that these metrics that would have to be calculated were so long and so complicated, he couldn't be bothered to do it. (laughs) He hated maths that much. Because, yeah, he he wasn't a mathematician, and he looked at this list of metrics that had to be calculated to accurately describe where Earth is in relation to the sun, for example. Mm. He was like, 
I'm not doing it. I'm Albert Einstein. I'm the smartest guy in the world at the time, and I'm not doing it. So mm. if I'm not doing it, I don't think anybody's going to do it. Oh, so I'm surprised that that wouldn't drive him to then do it. It didn't, but it did catch the attention of somebody else. Oh. So there was this guy called Carl Schwarzschild. He was a mathematician. And remember, this is, this is 1917, so the First World War is going on. Mm. Einstein's still in Germany at this point, and he's giving out his lectures and stuff. Very respected uh, physicist, obviously. And Carl Schwarzschild uh, was working with the German military. He was calculating the trajectory of uh, ballistic missiles that they were doing, you know, like Werner von Braun and all, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to create the first intercontinental ballistic missiles, you know, whether they they wouldn't be nuclear, but, you know, they, they were still trying to create these missiles that could kill the enemy from a long way off. Mm -hmm. Carl Schwarzschild was the guy, the mathematician, who was figuring out the trajectory of the rockets and figuring out, you know, how, what, how, what kind of payload the fuel needed and that sort of thing, and what angle to, to launch them at and that sort of mm. thing. He was the one doing all those traje trajectory Like fine-tuning it to get yeah, it accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he was just having his downtime, his rest and relaxation, he would travel to Berlin and listen to the lectures that Einstein was prepared, prepared and, and was giving on his theories of, of relativity. And he ended his, his, one of his lectures, that Schwarzschild was at, by saying, I don't think anybody's going to calculate these equations because I can't be bothered to do it. <laughs> All these metrics, lists and lists and lists of numbers. Honestly, it, to look at it, it just baffles you. Uh, Einstein could be bothered to do it. I certainly wouldn't be bothered to do it, even if I was capable of it. Mm -hmm. Schwarzschild, he took it upon himself to figure it all out. He was the chosen one. Yeah, he was the chosen one. And he came up with what is now known as the, Sh the Schwarzschild metric. Mm. Yeah. Because basically, he kind of... Um, Einstein asked him how he did it. When, it. when he came back with his results, Einstein asked him how he did it. And he said, well, I made a lot of guesses. And he said, <laughs> I, right. I disregarded a lot of information. All I wanted to know was I know where the Earth is, I know where the Sun is, and I want to find that correlation of the orbit between the two. So I've disregarded all the other information, any outside influences or anything like that, and I've just concentrated on making the metrics work for that. And he presented it to Einstein. Einstein was happy that he'd done it. He was like, oh, Excellent. This is this completes my work. It proves my theory, my general theory of relativity. That works. And they put it to test with all these different things, like um, gravitational lensing and, and, and all that sort of thing. And every time, Einstein's theory was bang on the money. Mm -hmm. Until another bunch of physicists looked at the Schwarzschild metrics, and they came across a, a, a little part of it which is basically states R, radius, R equals 2GM, two gravitational masses. Um, and they were like, well, th this doesn't work. It didn't work. It didn't, it didn't work for them. They were like, because, okay, so 
we know what the radius of the sun is, but at which point are we measuring from? Are you measuring from the outside of the sun or the inside of the sun, you know, the, the central point of it? And Einstein is like, well, from, from the outside of the sun, you need to work from the surface. And they were like, yeah, but it doesn't work if you, if you go to the center, because the, the, the one part of his, his metric, um, I'll, I'll read out the equation, see, uh, the um, g mu nu, or the, the two little symbols, uh, mu and nu, uh, if you reduce that number down to zero, it means it equals, in brackets, 1 minus 2 gm over r, which the smaller your input number, uh, as in the smaller it gets down to zero, the end result becomes infinity, which physicists don't like. They don't they like They don't it, like the, the term infinity. They like to have a value. Any kind of equations that they're doing, they want the result to have a value. And Einstein was like, because the value at the end of this is the rate of the passage ex of experienced time with respect to the coordinate of time. Remember, Einstein has stated that space and time are, the, in, in essence, the same thing. Mm. Because Newton did his laws of motion um, studying distances. But Einstein realized that distances only work in a straight line, and spa space is curved. So, that still blows my mind, that space is curved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> caught, curved in all dimensions. So he's started studying distance in over time yeah because basically any distance no matter how small is just a series of straight lines but when you add them all together you can calculate your distance by the amount of time that it mm. takes to get somewhere you know what i mean so all, all of our einstein's calculations were with space and time being the same thing so experienced time and the coordinate of time have a relationship but these physicists were like but what happened because when, when you when you input your uh, metric in a zero it comes out as an infinity and Einstein's like well yeah because who's looking for a radius of zero that's what the input is the radius mm. he's like planets don't have a radius of zero stars don't have a radius of zero we're looking for the the theory that governs how these things how these bodies react with each other and are interconnected and the physicists were like yeah that's a good point but what about things when things collapse you know supernovas happen stars collapse and einstein was like yeah yeah okay they do but they still don't collapse to zero radius mm. so the infinite is not is not even a thing that we need to worry about because there's nothing out there in space that has a zero radius. How wrong he was. There is stuff with zero radius. Well, what is something with zero radius? A point in space that has mass but no volume. What would we call that? Is it dark matter? No, <laughs> but we will get to that. <laughs> It's a black hole. Ah, of course. Yeah. A black hole is that point where matter has collapsed in on itself to a point where it takes up no space. It's a singularity. It is a, a single point in space with infinite density and no volume. Ah. 
Yeah, black holes scare me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are scary. And we, we always think of like black holes as not being that because we see like the, the supermassive black holes that are, that are the center of the galaxy. Mm. And like say like the Sagittarius black hole that's at the center of our galaxy is actually the size of our solar system. That's nuts. But it's not. It's the event horizon of that black hole that is the size of the the solar system is that point of no return the actual black hole itself is still that infinite point mm. uh, that single point of infinite density it's, it's the radius of it that we consider to be the black hole is just the point of no return for light or anything once it crosses that that sphere of influence yeah. it's never coming back out because space time is curved so dramatically has it been proved that it's curved yeah, this is what this is what proves it. So you're telling me, even with scientific evidence that something is curved, it wouldn't make sense if I turned around and said it's a conspiracy theory, and I think space is flat. Uh, there, there are theories to support your claim. <laughs> what? No, <laughs> you're not supposed to side with the flat earthers. No, the, the, well, this, I'm not siding with the, the flat earthers because I'm not saying that Earth is flat. I'm saying that quite possibly the universe is flat. Oh no, We've or, had, I've opened a can of or worms. Or it could be spherical, or it could be donut shaped, or it could be parabolic in nature. We just don't know. Hmm. There's no way we can see far enough out to actually see what the whole universe looks like, anyway. Is there? No, true. Einstein, like I say, this whole infinite thing, Einstein himself said, as a quote from him, there are only two things that are infinite. One is the universe, and two is human stupidity. <laughs> and I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> That's a good quote. Yeah. Um, but don't black holes just keep growing? Uh, if, they're, if they're feeding, if they're, yeah, if stuff's still going into them, Yes, oh. but black holes aren't the the all devouring, hungry things that we that you mm. know scary science fiction movies would have you believe. Yeah, um, they can be dormant like a volcano, you know, just literally not swallowing in anything, just minding their own business because nothing's close enough to break apart and and fall in. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, like I say, Einstein he didn't know about uh, black holes. That he didn't. No, he didn't know about it. His theory said, his equation said, in theory, yes, they could exist if you could find an object with zero radius. But he didn't th ever think that that would happen. Mm. And no one did for quite a few decades. Oh, so did he pass on before he knew about black holes? Or did yeah, he... yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it okay. wasn't until like the 50s and 60s until people actually started thinking, well, may maybe black holes could actually be a thing. Mm. And then it wasn't even until I think it was the 1970s. That's a while after. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, this was in 1917 that um, Einstein and Schwarzschild got together and, cre and created all this theory. Mm. Uh, so it wasn't until the 70s that a, a very small group of scientists were looking at the sky, looking at the measuring stars. Now, do you remember I told you um, about parallax angles? Yes. And you can judge the distance that stars are compared to Earth. Oh, don't get me started on that. Um, because you measure where they are in the sky when you're on one side of the sun, mm -hmm. and then six months later you look at the same stars in the sky and see if they've moved... 
because uh, I, I think I did the analogy of hold your thumb out and, and look yeah. at it through one eye and then the other <laughs> eye. Well, that gives you the parallax angle of a star. And they found this star, that, and they were studying it for several years, making sure that they, they were double-checking their distances, and the star suddenly wasn't in the right place. Mm. It had kind of wobbled. And they were like, well, what's caused that? And they came up with the theory, maybe it's a black hole. This star is actually orbiting something that we can't see. I would have thought a black hole would suck stars up. If they're close enough, potentially, yeah, it can. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I suppose a black hole would have its own gravitational pull to be able to suck things into it. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense that something can orbit around a black hole. But again... People didn't hold on to this theory. It wasn't until around about the turn of the millennium that black holes suddenly became this widespread thing. A lot of physicists were still like, do you believe in black holes? Yeah. <laughs> Freaking idiot. You know, it was, it was very taboo subject matter, even mm -hmm. within the physicists and stuff. Um, Which is crazy, because they seem like so common now. Like You hear about a black hole, and you're like, well, yeah, of course they're real. <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but touching on dark matter, in fact, mm. um, the reason why dark matter has become a thing within the physics community is because of this equation. Ah. It's because when they, when s s these physicists were looking at galaxies, and you know, particularly like spiral galaxies, the, the, you know, all, all the stars, stars create this spiraling pattern yeah, that's quite in cool. towards the middle. It looks awesome, doesn't it? Well, they were measuring the star, the velocity of the stars. You'd imagine that the stars on the inside of the galaxy would be traveling a lot faster than the stars on the outside of the galaxy because it's created that spiral pattern. How else mm. would that pattern exist? Mm. And using this... Um, this equation, that is pretty much what it should be. But scientists noticed that the stars on the outside galaxy were pretty much travelling at the same speed as the stars on the inside, and they can't, couldn't explain it. So they came up with this theory that there must be a lot more mass to the galaxy than what we can see. So they came up with this dark matter theory. Yeah, It's matter that doesn't you can't see it you can't uh, take any readings from it. It doesn't emit any kind of radio waves or light or anything like that. And it, the only thing it interacts with is gravity. Mm -hmm. And they called it dark matter. Very controversial point. I don't personally, I don't hold with the theory. I don't like it. I don't think Einstein would, to be honest, because Einstein wasn't even a fat, massive fan of the Big Bang Theory. He wasn't? No. Okay. I mean, we could talk about that all, all day because I've never understood the Big Bang Theory because I, I, I go down a rabbit hole and I think, well, if the Big Bang Theory didn't happen, what was before that? Was it... Who said there was anything before that? Well, I mean... That's Who used you to say <laughs> that the universe isn't as it is and always was and always will be? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so many theories and conversations you can have about the start of the universe and what the universe is. And yeah. That it's, yeah, I can't wrap my head around. Yeah, um, but Einstein wasn't a massive fan of the Big Bang Theory. Mm. I've got an inkling that if he had been alive when somebody came up with the black dark matter theory, he would probably shot that down as well. Um, because at the end of the day, I just think... While this is a, a theory that has stood the tests of time, this, this, this equation, 
uh, Einstein's theory of general relativity, there's got to be something that's not quite right about it. Mm. Yeah. Something's not quite on the money, is it? Yeah. It's dark energy and dark matter. You know, the, the whole theory of like dark energy being the energy that was created by the Big Bang that is still making space expand outwards today mm -hmm. um, is generally accepted. But the thing is, when we talk about that expanse of space, we only see it in those vast expanses between galaxies. We'll mm -hmm. look at distant galaxies and notice that they're speeding away from us at a hell of a rate. But when you look at local stuff, like Andromeda, the galaxy next door, it's actually heading towards us. Oh, right. And in four or five billion years, it's going to collide. And Andromeda and the Milky Way will collide and merge and become one galaxy that people are proposing to call the Milkdromeda. <laughs> <laughs> That's got a ring to it. But do you know what I mean? We only see space expansing in, expanding in these vast fields of nothingness in between galaxies. You don't see it mm. within the galaxy itself. You don't see it in between us and Andromeda, or us and the, the, the large and small Magellanic cloud, you know, our neighbouring small mm. galaxies, they see, it, gravity seems to be still taking hold on that, you know, we're drifting together. Excuse yeah. me. Um, so, that, but that is something we're going to revisit in yeah. a little while. Because at the moment, what we've done so far is we have... Uh, We've decided, if you like, that Einstein basically theoretically invented black holes. And over time, we know that they are a thing. Now we've even taken pictures of two of them. Yeah, yeah, they look cool. Yeah, very cool-looking pictures. I loved it. I was, I, was, I was on the edge of my seat waiting for those for like three years or whatever it was. <laughs> it yeah, took them yeah. to do it. Um, we but won't go into You also took a really cool picture of the sun. With yeah, your yeah, yeah. telescope, and I remember that because you could see all the little flares and everything yeah, yeah, on yeah, the yeah, action. Yeah. And I was very impressed. And little sunspots. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. But um, anyway, uh, the black hole. Mm. So we got to a black hole so far. Now there was another really famous scientist, uh, physicist, that didn't like black holes. He spent his life studying them. Stephen Hawking. Ah, uh, he preferred White House. Well. But we'll get to that as well. <laughs> That's where we're going with this episode. But Stephen Hawking, he, he I mean, he loved his black holes, don't get me wrong. He, he studied them. But one thing that he didn't like about them is the fact that if you go into a black hole, space and time basically cease to exist. It is the end of time, the end of space. There's nothing mm. after it. And so where does it lead? Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We don't know. Uh, Not for yeah, sure. But you, you wouldn't live to tell the tale. Stephen Hawking didn't like that because there's a rule in physics, a law if you like, that information must be conserved. The conservation of information law. Mm. And Stephen Hawking said, well, if something goes into a black hole, it's gone forever, the information is gone. How can that be when information is always conserved? It's like, if I were to set fire to this my notepad, mm -hmm. and it was completely destroyed, and then I managed to suck up all of the smoke and all of the ash and rebuilt it molecule by molecule, you could, in theory, physics states, you could rebuild that notebook and all the information within it would still be conserved, yeah? <laughs> in theory, yeah. But In theory, yeah. yeah. So black holes, Stephen Hawking didn't like the fact that if you go into a black hole, nothing comes out of it. Mm. So he came up with, he started looking into quantum dynamics and quantum physics. Right. Because even Albert Einstein uh, calls quantum theory uh, spooky goings-on in the very small. He, he wasn't a fan. He didn't study that end of things. He, he stayed away from that. He was more into his space and big things. Okay. Stephen Hawking was trying to find a unified theory of everything that, that takes quantum physics and the general relativity and can combine them. The theory of everything. The theory of everything. Not sure anyone will ever actually come up with that. Mm. But when Stephen Hawking was looking at these black holes and this conservation of information, he realized that once, that once you get into that black hole, once you're on the event horizon, uh, you, your molecules or the parts that make up molecules are going to be pulled towards the center at a different rate. Like the nucleus at the center of an atom mm -hmm. is heavier than the electron um, orbiting around the outside of it. So the proton at the center would be pulled into the black hole before the electron on the outside, and the two would be separated, but still uh, under the same influence. This is called quantum entanglement. So the information of the atom is still in both separate parts, even though they're in two different places in space. And the electron is then drifts off away from the, the black hole. Why doesn't that get sucked in? I don't know. <laughs> but it's irradiated out as this stuff that Stephen Hawking named after himself Hawking radiation. Mm. And this was something that he was trying to prove all the way up to his death. It was a theory that he had to conserve information. And now we've got that out of the way. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hawking, yeah, R.I.P. Stephen Hawking, because he, he was a great man, did some great work. Mm. And his, his work on black holes led to what we're going into now. And I know that we're already near the end of the podcast. No! <laughs> but basically, I was watching a Royal Institute lecture the other night. Oh, check you out. Uh, another, yeah, another <laughs> physicist was talking about how black holes can, uh, when they when this Hawking radiation shrinks the black hole down, because they will shrink over billions of years, maybe even trillions of years, it would take longer than our universe has to 
to live. Is is that if they're not sucking things in? Yeah. They'll shrink. Yeah, yeah, right. they'll shrink if they're not sucking things in. And once they reach a certain size, what happens to them is something called a quantum leap. Now, I love that show. Yeah, yeah, it was a good show. <laughs> what, what, what a quantum leap actually is, is when we go back to that atom, the, the proton and, and the electron orbiting around it, that orbiting electron can orbit close to the atom, to the, to the nucleus, like that, or it can do a quantum leap and it goes boink, like that, and it orbits further out. Or it could go the other way. It could be orbiting further out and it'll go boink and it'll suddenly be further in and it'll emit a bit of light. This is called a quantum leap. And what this theorist um, suggested is that black holes, when they get small enough, will do a quantum leap and turn into a white hole. The difference is unobservable from outside. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know the difference between a black hole and a white hole because it would still have that event horizon. But rather mm. than sucking space-time into it forever, infinitely, it's now a point of infinite density that is releasing space-time. Oh, man. Now, his theory was that back in the early universe, when all the black holes were only small primordial black holes anyway, not massive, super, super um, massive yeah. black holes that we witness today, but back at the early universe... They were all small. Some of them might have might have phase shifted into white holes, mm -hmm. and they would be so tiny that that is actually what we see as dark matter. His hope is that he could detect these white holes and prove that they are the dark matter that explains the galaxy spin. Ah. It still doesn't explain expansion to me. Now, I, my personal theory, and this is what I'm getting to now, this is what you're going to rate my paranormality score on, my theory is that because we don't see that spatial expansion at a smaller level, you know, inside galaxies and between us and our nearest neighbour, we only see it when it's millions of light years away, travelling faster and further and further. Who's to say that these white holes aren't the cause of that space expanse? They could be, yeah. In between galaxies, you know? You'll, you could never reach a white hole. You'll never see one because mm. it looks the same as a black hole. You'll never get to one because space is expanding. So as you're trying to get towards it, you've got to travel further and further. Mm -hmm. Even yeah, though you're yeah. traveling towards it, you know? Because it's creating space. It's creating new time. Mm. No, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. That is... That is my... I don't have any equations or anything to explain this. That's what the people want. I know they, they, they want <laughs> equations, but I'm not actually you know, a PhD physicist. I, and, and this is just my theory, is that you know, no matter how small or big these white holes could be, because we always say, well, why can't we see them? Well, it's because they look like black holes. Mm. And you can't see a black hole. And if it's in the vast expanse of space where it hasn't got any stars around it, it's just going to be churning out more and more space-time, expanding the space between galaxies in the way that we see happening. Mm. And yet I seem to be the only person who's jumped on this train. Could a black hole suck up a white hole? Oh, now that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think so, because the white hole would be expanding space. You know, a white hole couldn't drift into a black hole because it would be expanding, expanding. space. So it would kind of oh. almost like a, a, like a, magnet, a magnet. Yeah, yeah. Just pushing it along. I do like your theory. Hmm. So 
That, that is my theory. White holes, renewing time. We've come full circle. New year, mm. new time, new theory. Yeah. That's very interesting. So when we go to the paranormality scale, what, what would you give my, my new theory of relativity? Well, I mean, for New Year, I was just going to try and lose a bit of weight. Um, and now I've got relativity to think about and <laughs> all sorts of holes. <laughs> um, this, is a, this is a roller coaster. Um, I've blown quite, your mind. Yeah, I quite, I quite like that theory, to be fair. Yeah. Um, because I don't like the idea of just being black holes sucking everything in and getting bigger, like you said, with sci-fi. I, I don't like dark matter and I don't like dark energy. I think there's got to be another explanation. I, I, I kind of understand the cosmic white microwave background and how you, the, like if you turn on an old-fashioned TV and don't tune it in, the static on the screen is the cosmic microwave background, mm. they say. That is the evidence of the Big Bang. The static on a radio when you're trying to tune in a radio in between radio stations. You just mm. hear that is the cosmic microwave background. That is the dark energy that they say is pushing all these galaxies apart. But okay. I still don't just hold of it. I think the universe is so well balanced. Yeah, it is very know? well balanced. Yeah. Well, black holes are sucking stuff in. There's got to be that something blowing things out, you know, because mm. space in a way is um, kind of like a three dimensional convection zone. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at boiling porridge, where the bubbles come up, it's hot and, and, and then the, the, it sort of travels outwards and then sinks back down and creates mm. these squiggly patterns all through your porridge, if you don't stir it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the convection zones. Um, and space is kind of like that. So the way I think of it is in a th three-dimensional space, you've got white holes splurging mm. out space-time, which then yeah. expands, and then black holes are sucking it in. And it's just yeah. a whole revolution, and it's well balanced like that. But I mean, we've got yin and yang, light and dark, so it makes exactly. sense, black and white. I mean, I'm mixed race, so I like white and black holes. So I'm going to say 7.5. Okay. Yeah, because I do like your theory of white holes. Um, and I do find black holes quite scary, to be fair. So I, I like to, <laughs> I do like to think that your white hole is like the... <laughs> that sounds so wrong. <laughs> I'd like to think of your white hole <laughs> as, as being like the good in the in the yin and yang yeah. kind of thing. It's like a little sliver of hope of just being like, yeah, the the universe is expanding. Re retains the balance. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a seven point five. Well, I'm gonna go naturally higher than that because it's my theory. Well, yeah. But I can't give it like a nine point nine. Because I don't have an equation. Yeah, I think if you had an equation and some evidence and, some, and stuff, something to, that could yeah. be peer reviewed, then you know I, I could could then possibly give it that nine point nine. But I can't do that, so I'm going to give it an eight point eight. Okay, which would give us an average of eight point one eight point one five. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. But I, I yeah I'd I'd like. I'd like to put that out there as a theory. And if any professional physicists, 
you know, PhD students or anything hear this and think, actually, Pirate might have an idea there and wants to try and write out an equation for me, I'll be very grateful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could be the And I'll strong... take a Nobel Prize next year. That'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone else, you could be the Einstein and someone else could be your Stromsberger. The Schwarzschild. Schwarz, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> Stromsberger. Yeah. <laughs> Also, you know how I get really confused by like when someone says there's light years away and yeah. we're seeing that light burning out from seven million years ago or whatever yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah. I saw a video the other day. Now, tell me if this is right or wrong or if I'm going to explain it in a way that you're confused by. But I saw something that said that if an alien on a planet 800 million light years away looked at Earth there would be dinosaurs on the planet, not us. Uh, there wouldn't even be dinosaurs if it was 800 million light years. Well, whatever the, the time difference of when dinosaurs were... I, okay, yeah, so if it was, say, 70 million light years away, yeah. and they had telescope capable of looking at Earth, yes, they would see dinosaurs. See, that just blows my mind. It doesn't make sense. Because we're here, we're, we're living on Earth. But light has a finite speed. You know, here's mm. another th here's another absolute brain teaser, right? We always talk about the speed of light yeah. being 300,000 kilometers per second, mm. or roughly that. Um, we don't actually know, because you can't actually test to see what, how fast light travels in a, in a straight line. Even Einstein himself calculated, because light, the speed of light is always written as C. In, in physics, the letter C, yeah, equals MC mm. squared, C being the speed of light. It's, it's, it's C for a reason, because when you calculate the speed of light, you can only calculate it by bouncing it off a mirror and measuring the time it takes to come back. That's the only way of yeah. measuring it. Mm. Because light travel, electricity travels at the speed of light, so whatever measuring equipment that you've got yeah. is going to be offset by the same speed of the light that you're trying to measure. So Einstein himself set the speed of light as C because it's A plus B. A being the time it takes to get from a point of origin to the mirror, and B mm. being the time it takes to get from the mirror back to the point of origin. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so there's so many uncertainties. We don't actually know. We, we, we assume that the speed of light is a constant. Mm -hmm. We don't actually know it. We can't test it or prove it. Yeah. Okay, well... My mind has been blown. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Not bad for a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And so, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I'm quite happy with that. An 8.15 for my theory of relativity. Yeah. Or my theory of white holes, let's say. Um, and I hope that we get someone responding to that, either calling me an idiot, <laughs> don't be too stupid, or <laughs> someone saying, actually, you've got a point. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe time will tell. And we'll look back and go, oh, Pirate's Theory was right. Who knows? We'll let the Who next knows? Einstein work it out. Also. So if you're a physicist mm. studying your PhD, or you've already got your PhD. Mm. If you like Pirate's White Hole. If you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put it to the test. Have a look yourself. See if, do you think that my theory makes sense? I think it does. Um, and write in. Send us an email, paranormality.uk at gmail.com. Uh, you can come and find us on Facebook. We now have a Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, you can come and find us on Discord. There is a link in the description to Discord. 
Um, and if you think that our, our videos offer you some kind of value, I'm not sure if this one would offer any value. <laughs> if you want your brain melted. <laughs> then you can always go along and join our Patreon and you can get our adverts every week, uh, a day early, and advert-free. Yeah, pod, podcasts every week, adverts-free. Yeah, advert-free. Yeah. And at any time in the future, if we get sponsorships or anything like that, the Patreon thing, we'll leave it all out of that. It yeah. will literally just be the plain flat episode. And just our sexy voices. Yeah, and our sexy selves. Yeah. <laughs> then we hope to see you there. It would be lovely to have a few Patreons come and join. Um I've got a few ideas for some bonus content that we could do as well. Mm. Um, so until next time, I've been Pirate. I'm Josh. This has been Paranormality UK. Ta-ta. Ta-ta!